Well, good morning, Wooddale Church. My name is Jeff. If we haven't met across all campuses as one church, one body, we are uh, excited that you're stepping into this new uh, this new way to do church for this morning. Uh, I believe that church is, isn't just a building that we gather at any one of our sites. Church is a movement that we are a part of, a movement established by God and sustained by God. And we can still do that through the internet and through uh, technology. Uh, so we are going to do just that. Uh, we're going to sing some songs at the beginning and remind our hearts and our lives that, that God is faithful, that he is consistent, that he has everything uh, just working out in what he has created and designed. So I'd encourage you from wherever you are, if you are on your couch or if you're in your kitchen or if you're uh, on the road, to engage with this, to engage with your heart and your voice, to sing along maybe, to worship God and uh, just, uh, just take one more step and believe in those truths in our hearts. So uh, yeah, might God be honored through this in worship. Our God reigns. Hallelujah, our God reigns. Hallelujah, our God reigns. Hallelujah, our God reigns. 
Sing this with me. In the darkness we were waiting without hope, without light. Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word. From a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt.
And Heavenly Father, as we come together and worship this morning, we praise you, Father. We praise you, Son. We praise you, Holy Spirit, three in one. And Father, we take refuge this morning in your word, where it reminds us that where two or three are gathered, you are there as well. And so, Father, wherever we are this morning, all over this great world of ours, we invite you into our lives as we worship you, as we praise you as the King of Kings. Heavenly Father, we sing of your mighty power this morning. Accept us and accept our worship. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. And everywhere that man can be, God, you are present there as well. And in this time of uncertainty and questioning, we can always go back to the word of God, for it stands true and it stands firm. I invite you to turn your attention to the screens and reflect for these next few moments on the passages of scripture that are listed. 
Well, I want to welcome all of you across Wooddale Church, all of our campuses and services to our online special streaming service. And Pastor Dale, this has been a week. It is just uh, filled with uncertainty and so much has been changing so quickly. As followers of Jesus, how do we gain perspective in the midst of all of this? Well, we're going to be talking about that. I've kind of interrupted the series that we were going to begin, which was going to be a journey through the Gospel of Luke called Arrive. And we'll pick that up uh, next weekend. And by the way, next weekend, our first message is going to be on, is Jesus really God or not? Which in times like this, you know, people have all kinds of opinions on the internet, I've noticed, and uh, some are not so nice about God and about the faith in times like this, so you won't want to miss that. But I've been reminded uh, this past week that while this may have caught a lot of people by surprise, nothing ever catches God by surprise. And uh, he knew about this, he's always known about this, and uh, he knows how long it will last, he knows when it will end, and so that's our confidence, and uh, that's, that's really our hope, Kyle. And I just want to thank everyone for inviting us into your space in this kind of unique format. And thank God for the opportunity to be able to uh, come together, though we hear a lot about social distancing, and I appreciate that. We've been keeping up on all of the experts and what they tell us we should or shouldn't do. We're trying to honor that as well as the church. I'm reminded that with prayer, there's no distance. Prayer closes the gap. In prayer, we are with God. And in prayer, uh, Kyle, we can be with people in their homes. We can be with our friends. We can be with those who are sick. We can be anywhere in the world. And so uh, what a call this uh, next uh, weeks to come to be in prayer. And we'll be uh, telling you more about how to pray more specifically, perhaps some opportunities for even some fasting to happen uh, as we uh, honor what our leader of our country just asked for, and that is that today, especially that we as a nation would be in much prayer about these things. But uh, Kyle, as we think about the next week ahead, uh, what's that look like for Wooddale? Well, it's going to look a little different than it normally does. So across all of our campus locations, all programs, all ministries are being postponed or canceled through Friday, March 20th. And that includes midweek, it includes all of the Bible studies, uh, WOW, our student programming that meets on Wednesday nights. Uh, do not go to one of our campus locations for those programs. Um, and uh, we're going to take it week by week, Dale. You know, as, as the news and information continues to come out, things are changing. It's a very dynamic situation. And so we're hopeful by the middle or the end of this upcoming week, we'll be able to give people some guidance about services. And we'll communicate to you via email through our website and through social media. So if they didn't receive the email that you sent on Friday, that just means that we don't have your most current uh, information or you've unsubscribed from something here at Wooddale Church. So uh, actually on our live stream page, which you're watching us on right now, there's a connection card. And if you fill out that connection card and in the comment section, there's a little text box that involves prayer requests and other mm -hmm. comments, just indicate on there to our team that you did not receive Pastor Dale's email, put the preferred email address on there. Our team is gonna be monitoring that through throughout the week so that way they can stay in touch as things continue to change. Great. So following up on that, Kyle, I just want to acknowledge how much I appreciate you and the staff. You guys have worked really hard and quarterbacked this thing in a short amount of time. But there will be ongoing opportunities coming up. So for people who want to connect in uh, and really kind of see this maybe as a bit of a hub for the church family, what are just different ways that we can get information or get connected with each other via the website. Yeah, that's so important that, uh, you know, God has given us the gift of technology. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we don't always think of it that way, right. but it's really a gift that we can use for his good. And we're going to leverage a lot of our technology. So the, the first part of where most of the information is going to be housed is going to be on our website. And in particular, the blog that we have here at Wooddale. In fact, Dale, you're going to be doing some mm -hmm. uh, video blog posts throughout the week just to encourage people as uh, we continue to progress through this week. So let me show you where our blog is on our website. So if you go right here to wooddale.org, and then up on the banner, it says blog, click on that. And then here's where the blog is. And so we'll have lots of entries and
in different posts. Uh, yours will be there. And uh, our team is actually working right now on getting a blog post up about how to leverage other technology solutions, things like Zoom and different video conferencing services, so they can stay connected to their life groups. That's how our life group is going to meet this coming Wednesday. Uh, and uh, there's a quick reference guide on that information sheet. So if you're not super friendly with technology, it'll be really easy for people to be able to access that and, and find that. So uh, lots of ways to leverage technology. Our student ministry actually are, are getting pretty creative. Yeah. They're going to be leveraging our social media platforms this upcoming week. And in particular, our new senior high pastor here at the Eden Prairie campus, Micah Hagerly. How would you like to start this week a brand new job? So uh, Micah is, uh, is returning here to Wooddale as our senior high pastor. And he's already programmed that our uh, 10 through 12th graders here at Eden Prairie and our Loring Park folks can join as well. Uh, but they can go to our social media, either Facebook or Instagram, and it'll be live 6.30 this coming. Wednesday. And Colin Carroll at our Edina campus is going to do the same thing with Edina Thank students. You. And that's will be on his Instagram site. And so you can go to those Instagram platforms Wednesday, 630 for our students. And that way they'll be able to be encouraged and inspired. And the rest of our student ministry team, they'll be posting on their own social platforms and emails and, and sending correspondence out uh, throughout the week. Now, here at Waddell, I recognize that we're probably not going to be able to answer every single specific question about every ministry, and so we wanted to give a central resource. So if you have questions that come up throughout the week, or Dale, if people have a specific need and they need some help and they're looking for the church to step in, or, and we're convinced of this, God's going to work in some unique ways. As we're more in our homes this week, we have an opportunity to connect with our neighbors in new and unique ways. And when we have those God stories, we want to hear about them so you and I can encourage our congregation about that. So one central point person, if you have questions, if you have needs, or you have God stories you want to share, and that's one of our staff members. Her name is Ann Han, does a great job of keeping organized around here. And Ann is going to be actively monitoring her email over the next few weeks to help communicate across our congregation about those specific things. So that's her email address. Feel free to email Ann at any point and you'll be in touch. Great. You know, Cal, one of the things we do on the weekends here at Whitdale is we take an offering and we present that to the Lord. And so some people may be wondering, hey, that's how I normally do this. How, how can I give uh, in order to continue the, the ministry of Whitdale Church here near and far? So what would be some ways for folks who um, are, are wondering, what do I do now? And, and there's a way to give electronically and to give online. Actually, my wife and I moved to that several years ago. Uh, for many people, coming to church when we receive our offering and presenting that offering to the Lord is, is an act of worship. But we believe that uh, setting up online automated giving can also be an act of worship. Mm -hmm. Actually, for us, it's been a step of faith because mm -hmm. that money comes out every month. And so we're trusting God that those finances sure. are there. Let me show you how to do that on our website. So if you go to wooddale.org again, and then up in the upper uh, section on the banner there, it's called Give and you click Give Online, this comes to this page here, and from this page you're able to either sign up for reoccurring giving, or you can give as a guest. Either way, regardless of whether you do that or you give as a guest, both will take you to this online giving platform. Very easy in terms of being able to navigate this. So you want to put in your contribution amount, we're going to be a little more generous here with this one. There we go. And uh, then you can choose to give one time or give reoccurringly if you want to set up a reoccurring gift. And there's different frequencies for you to be able to do that. And then, of course, selecting the gift fund. We uh, encourage people to give to uh, the ministry fund here. That just helps to support the operations here of the church. But they can give to different funds as well. And then you can set up via a credit or uh, through automatic uh, withdrawal from your bank account. And it's just following those instructions. It's very simple. And then from here, you just give us a little bit of the contact information, a very secure website. You don't need to be concerned about uh, this information being protected. And then click that green button. And then now you have either contributed to Wooddale Church and to what God is doing, or you've set yourself up for reoccurring giving. That's fantastic. And uh, Cal, I mean, Wooddale Church is a generous caring church. That's one of the things I so value about our congregation. And we're already hearing stories from Whitdalers who are looking at this as an opportunity to show the love of Christ. And uh, while there are many, what, what's one or two that you would highlight for us that we've already heard about? Yeah, it was just so fun. As soon as your email went out Friday saying that we're going to be closed down for the weekend, one of the first questions that we received here at Wooddale was, what do I do with my food donations? Uh, and in particular, uh, the bags that have been coming in right. have toilet paper on them. Yeah. So while the rest of the world is hoarding their food and their toilet paper, it's folks here at Wooddale Church who are looking to give yes. it away. That's been pretty in That's encouraging. Great. In fact, our Loring Park campus right now are on Nicollet Avenue handing out food to those uh, who are in 
need at, at Nicollet Park or at Loring Park. And uh, one of the things about the Loring Park campus, you know, Dale, we, we know that uh, we could not operate Woodell Church if it was not for our volunteers. Yes. And one of our volunteer directors, a guy by the name of Derek, just stepped up in a big way. He got your email on Friday. He oversees all the life groups at Loring Park, and he sent a really thoughtful note to life group leaders about how they can leverage this opportunity to care for their life group. Uh, recipients and, and teams, and uh, just it was such a well-worded email that Pastor Brian, our discipleship pastor, saw that, took it, gave him credit, but he sent it out to all of the life right. groups. It was just one of the many, many examples of how our volunteers and our leaders here at Wooddale are really stepping up to see how God wants to use them yeah. in this situation. Great. Well, listen, Cal, let's, uh, let's all pray. If you would, in your homes or wherever you happen to be joining us right now, if you would just bow your head with me and let's pray. Father, we have been asked as a nation to be in prayer during this time. And Father, we come in the name of Jesus and we come asking you, Lord, for wisdom for our leaders and wisdom for each one of us, Lord, to know how to face this emerging crisis. We pray and ask, oh God, for your protection, uh, especially for those who are vulnerable. And Lord, uh, at our church, we are blessed to have a multi-generation and uh, we uphold right now to you our elderly in particular and those with underlying illnesses. Lord, watch over them. Build a wall around them, O oh God, and protect them, we pray. Father, help us to be reminded during times like this that our lives are not simply what we do here in, in this time, but God, our lives are eternal. And uh, we, we are all at some point in time, Father, going to be called home to see you. And so, Lord, that gives us great hope and great courage to know, Father, that there's more to life than these days that we are living in. And so we pray for our nation, O oh God. We pray for the world, in particular for our nation, Lord, that during this period, people would turn their hearts and minds back to you. And that, God, we would realize what matters most. And Lord, as people cry out to you sincerely, would you please hear their prayers? May we see, oh God, may we see you use this to bring a spiritual revival to America, Father, and to our lives, a turning back to you as we realize, Lord, how weak we really are. That something we cannot even see has so disrupted our lives. Lord, I pray that we would bow our knees before you and begin to seek your face Help us at Wooddale Church to be involved in doing that, Lord Jesus, we pray. Lord, bless your church as we continue to seek to make a difference here, near, and far for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Welcome, everybody, again to our service. It's a little unusual, and yet I want you to kind of forget about the unusualness of it and just, just listen to what God might be saying to you on this day. And as we begin, I want to tell you a story, a true story. I want to tell you about a novelist, Peter DeVries. Peter DeVries was born in Chicago in 1910 to a very strict, strong Christian home and family. But sadly, he turned away from the faith and, in fact, used his skills as a writer to ridicule the faith. You may wonder to yourself, what would cause somebody to do something like that? Well, there's one thing that happened in his life that is probably a major contributing cause to his turning away from God and ridiculing the faith. You see, Peter DeVries had a daughter 
Her name was Emily. And at 10 years of age, she came down with leukemia. And try as they might to save her life, she ended up perishing and dying. And it seems that DeVries could never get over that. And that's probably what led him to write a novel called The Blood of the Lamb. And in that novel, he creates a character, Don Wanderhope. Don Wanderhope also has a daughter, and that daughter is 11 years of age, and she too comes down with leukemia, and she's in the hospital. And they're treating her there in the hospital, and it appears that her bone marrow is beginning to recover and that her cancer is going to go into remission. Wander Hope is so excited about all of this that he goes out and he buys this beautiful cake. It's wonderfully decorated, bright colors, and he's going to bring it to the hospital, and he's going to celebrate the fact that the cancer is in remission. But that night, an infection sweeps through the ward of the hospital, and this girl and others die. And so when Don Wanderhope finally makes the hospital, he's greeted by the nurses who inform him that his daughter has died. He takes that beautifully decorated cake and he goes down to the church where he's been praying for the healing of his daughter. And he hurls it at the crucifix in the front of the church and it hits Jesus right below the crown of thorns and that bright icing begins to drip off the features of Jesus' dejected, looking stone face. Wander Hope feels betrayed by God. DeVries felt betrayed by God. And there are times in our lives when we too wonder, God, where are you in the midst of a crisis? And history is littered with all kinds of crises whether it's epidemics or political chaos or wars or economic meltdowns or if it's environmental challenges that come along the way. And sometimes they're so, they're so big that we feel we're out of control. We feel like we're in the midst of all kinds of uncertainty. And when that happens, one of our tendencies is to try to fix it. And when you can't fix it, then you start to blame. We blame ourselves, we blame the government, we blame each other, but oftentimes we blame God. And I know that in the weeks to come, because I've seen it already start, there will be people who point their finger at God and question his goodness or even question his existence. How can a loving God allow things like this to happen? Once again, here's proof that there is no God. It's in times like that that we who are the followers of Christ need to know how to think about it as well as how to respond to it. Because all of us, all of us go through hard times. I was reminded of uh, something that a uh, uh, pastor wrote years ago. Uh, he's now gone home to be with the Lord, Pastor Hollywood Presbyterian Church, and then was the chaplain of the United States Senate, Lloyd John Ogilvie, wrote these words. He said, we all have one of three things in common, all of us. We have known the night of suffering. I wonder how many of us would say, yep, I've, I've got that one. Or we are in the night right now. And for some of you, that's very real. It might be a loss. Or you might be just, you know, apart from the virus, going through other physical issues. Or it might be the fear of this happening in your life. I know right now for my wife and I, we're praying very much, especially for our elderly parents who have underlying kinds of issues. Or you're deeply troubled about someone who is in the night of suffering. How do we speak to that? How do we respond to that? How do we think about what is happening in our world, the evil in our world, the suffering, the sickness, and, and all the things that just didn't show up today have been going on, but right now it just seems so global in terms of this virus and how contagious it is and the potential of sickness and fatalities. How do we think about this? How do we respond to it in terms of, of a biblical perspective? Well, Mark Middleberg, who happens to be an apologist and uh, a writer, uh, talks about this from a unique perspective. He says it's in times like this that certain beliefs that we have as Christians uh, get a little bit confusing for us and even for others. Let me give you an example. For instance, he says, 
three confusing biblical teachings. One, that God is good and hates evil. And we would all agree that's true. God is good and God does hate evil. Uh, God is great and all-powerful. And I still believe, I hope you do as well, God is great and God is all-powerful. Evil is real. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to argue about that. We see it in so many different ways. And there are things that are in rebellion against God, both in the unseen world as well as in this realm that is very tangible that we live in today. And so what Middleburg goes on and says, he says, as God, he certainly would know about evil. It's not like God's ignorant about evil. And if he is really good, then you would expect that he would condemn and want to do something about the evil. And if he is truly great and powerful, he would destroy evil. And yet, evil and disease and sickness are here. And that's what becomes confusing sometimes for the followers of Christ, and especially for those who don't know Jesus. And, you know, when you get asked those questions by your friends, your relatives, it's like, how do I respond to this? Because they're making a case. God is powerful. God is holy. God is good. God hates evil, and yet it exists. God can heal, and yet people get sick and, and people die. And so what happens is, we attempt to try to answer those questions. We don't always answer those kinds of questions about God in the best way. So what I want to do with you, uh, just quickly, to kind of equip you with your own thoughts, your own doubts, and especially as you might respond to others about these and other kinds of crises that we're facing, I, I want to equip you to, to deal with some of these things. So, for instance, the way some people deal with situations like this is they say, since there's evil in the world, manifest in all the ways that it is, even to a virus, that must mean that there is no God. If there's evil in the world, there is no God. Now, if you stop and you think about that, it doesn't make a lot of sense, especially from the perspective of how do we know evil exists if there is no God? I mean, it takes knowing a God, it takes knowing goodness to understand that evil or bad things actually exist. C.S. Lewis, who was an avowed atheist, wrestled with this. And, of course, he finally came to faith. And this was one of the issues that brought him to faith. So let me read to you a question that he once asked. The question that maybe you've asked and others have is, if a good God made the world, why has it gone wrong? And here's the answer that he later on gave. He said, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? If the whole show was bad and senseless from A to Z, so to speak, why did I who is supposed to be part of the show, find myself in such violent reaction against it. He goes on, thus in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, my idea of justice, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turned out to be too simple. The whole universe has no meaning if we should never have found out that it was no meaning, just as if there were no light in the universe and therefore no creature with eyes, we should never know it was dark. Dark would be without meaning. Now, C.S. Lewis obviously writing in his style. Maybe it's hard to understand everything he's saying, but his point makes a lot of sense. And that is, it takes knowing God to know that there is evil, to know that there are bad things. So this whole idea that there's all this stuff going on, there must be no God, really doesn't hold up. A second way that people come at this and try to uh, resolve evil and sickness and disease and things like that is that God is a mixture of good and evil. That's why these things happen. God is this mixture of good and evil. You see this in Eastern kinds of religions and in the New Age mindset. There's this, you know, the, 
the dark side and then there's the, the good side. And the problem is, logically speaking, okay, forget about religion, just logically speaking, it doesn't make sense. You know, God cannot contradict himself. You cannot be all good and then contradict that and also be all evil. So we kind of throw that one out as well. Or there's this idea that God, God isn't all-powerful, which, by the way, is very popular even amongst some who call themselves believers, that there are some limitations that God has. Uh, Harold Kushner, who's a popular rabbi, holds this view, and he writes, God wants the righteous to live peaceful, happy lives, but sometimes even he can't bring that about. It is too difficult even for God to keep cruelty and chaos from claiming their innocent victims. I don't know about you, but I, write, I, I read that and I find that very discouraging. I would, hold, I would hate to hold that kind of a mindset that God is limited in his power because now I've got chaos on my hands. You know, and, and can I, what can I trust God with or, or what can't I trust God with? So that doesn't seem to hold water. Let's look at just one more. And that is this idea that God is good and great, but really he just doesn't care what happens to us. And strangely enough, is there a person listening to me right now who hasn't had at least that thought go through your mind? God is good, God is powerful, God is great but he just doesn't care about me, or he just doesn't see this situation. Or some of the things that I've been reading, you know, talking about this is the hand of God's judgment come upon the world. Well, you know, I look at that and I realize this is coming upon more than just those who don't believe in God. This is happening to those who love God passionately, who, who care very much. And so I want you to know that God is aware of our situation, your situation, my situation, the threat to our lives with this illness and so many other things, and he has not forgotten about us. I want you to know that the Father of Jesus is very fond of you and me, and that he loves this world. He's proven he loves this world. He gave his son to die for the sins of this world. So what that does, it kind of moves us back into this whole question then, if all of that is true, then why, you know, why does God allow these kinds of things to, to happen? And, and, and why doesn't God do something about it? And, you know, sometimes you come up with the wrong answers because you ask the wrong question. And maybe we're asking the wrong questions about things like this. Let me give you a, an example of what I mean. For instance, what if I said to you, that good parents raise good children. Therefore, okay, how can a good parent end up with a son or a daughter who's a criminal? Now, what's my presupposition? That if you're a good parent, you raise good kids. But what do we know to be the reality? There are good parents who lovingly try to raise good kids, but every kid makes a choice whether they're going to listen to the parents or not. And you can't blame the parent necessarily for the child's decision. Same thing is true. We've been talking about that in our series through January all the way up until last weekend about our God and how the story of the Bible starts out as a good story. But what, what hurts the story, what ruins the story, so to speak, is our rejection of God, his love and his truth, our unwillingness to trust that. And God warned humanity that the, that the results of that would be a degradation in our lives, in the environment, in the whole world. Paul says, you know, all of nature is crying out to God to heal it. And so what we live with is not God's fault. It's not something God did to us. And the truth is, it's something that we've created by ignoring his truth or rejecting his presence. And God has set about, we've been talking about this, this plan to reconcile all things to himself. And so we're going to see things like this virus and other tragedies happen. We have in the past, we will now, we will in the future till our Lord returns and creates a new heaven and a new earth. But for those of us who are believers, we have great hope in the midst of it. And this is an opportunity for us, as I said earlier, to stand in the gap and to shine for Christ and not speak out fear 
speak out confidence that our God is in control. And what matters is not how much I accomplish in this life for myself, but what I do for Christ and the cause of Christ. We look beyond this world to a greater world, to a greater hope that is set before us. And what situations like this do is it actually it helps us get refocused. It helps us come to terms with what really matters in the sight of God. Now, there are enigmas in all of this. I'll agree to that. There are situations where you do wonder when you're praying for somebody, like in our story of DeVries and his daughter who had leukemia, or people you know and people I know and love and care about, we pray over them. We ask God to intervene in their life, and it's like, why doesn't God do that if God is so loving? Why not in this situation? And I want to quote to you some words from uh, a, a saint of the, the past. I want you to listen to what Madame Jean Guyon said because it's so accurate. It may not be what you want to hear, but it's true. And that is, if knowing answers to life's question is absolutely necessary to you and to me, then forget the journey. You will never make it, for this is a journey of unknowable do, uh, and then it goes on, of unanswered questions as well, and of enigmas and incomprehensibles, and most of all, things unfair. So this is, a, this is a journey where I don't always know all the answers, where sometimes there is uncertainty, where there are unknowables as we move through life. But God is in control. God is in control. And do you believe that? You say, well, Pastor, all that's been really interesting, but, but I really would like you to develop something from the Scriptures. I need something to hang on to this week to be encouraged by. I'm so glad you asked that because I want to draw your attention as we kind of wrap this up to two Psalms, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. So hopefully you have your Bible available at home or wherever you're meeting right now. And I'd like to give you a moment just to open up to Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. And I want to read through these Psalms. And uh, I want to point out one thing in particular that I believe will be an encouragement to you as we go through this uh, journey together. So Psalm 42 and 3, what is the context? Some people think, that the context is either David on the run from his son Absalom who wants to kill him and kind of take over the kingdom. So David's hard-pressed in the wilderness. He doesn't know why his son wants to take his life, why they're turning against him. Or, and I think this is what is probably uh, is the context for it, it may be when the Israelites were taken into captivity, and they're on their way now to Babylon. And so they're leaving Jerusalem behind. They're leaving the homeland behind. They're going into captivity. And there's this fear that grips them because their lives have been totally changed as a result of it. So listen to what he says in Psalm 42, verse 1. He says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. In other words, something's happening in my life right now that's really drawn my attention to you, O oh God, and I, I am craving you like one who is thirsting for water. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now remember, the place, that, the place where you went and met with God was in Jerusalem at the temple. So they're being removed from the temple. So there's this longing, when can I go back to Jerusalem? Where I, can, where I can meet with you. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Where is your God? I was uh, doing some reading earlier actually this morning and I came across um, a prayer and, and some spiritual encouragement that I thought was done really well on a secular site. And then I made the mistake of looking how people responding to it and there were so many comments of ridicule. Well, how many Christians is it going to take to pray? You know, and why hasn't God already heard? And, you know, why has God allowed other tragedies to happen? And so it's already start, right? Why are you people looking to God? There's no God there. And so Psalmist is struggling with, you know, their, his own soul, or her own soul that's questioning, where is God? Verse 4, these things are remembers. I pour out my soul. 
how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. And so there's this sense of, you know, I used to know what it was like to feel protected by you, God, but I feel so unprotected by you now. This stuff is happening to me that I didn't plan for, didn't expect. Where are you, God? Verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. So now he's encouraging himself. For I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. Just remembering who God is even when he's not in Jerusalem. Verse 6. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Verse 7, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. So you see him kind of in this stage of wrestling. You know, there's the doubts, there's the questions. And then he's trying to, you know, prop himself up and say, okay, I can do this. God is here. God is my hope. And then he goes back and forth again. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy, the enemy of doubt, the taunts of others? Verse 10, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And he kind of slaps himself, so to speak, and he says, put your hope in God. I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And I just want to say to you uh, and to myself, as we go through this journey, as we, as we see things happen in all kinds of uh, ways, whether it's economic or physical or emotional, etc., you know, let's remember our God. Let's stay connected to our God. Let's have hope in our God. Let's find strength in our God despite the negative things that might be out there or despite our own doubts and our own wrestlings. Now watch what happens in verse 43. He says, Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. But then watch what happens. What, look what he says. Why have you rejected me? Now, there's, there's, there's this honesty about the psalmist that says, you know, if I live this way and I, and I love you and I'm trying to serve you, why would you then let something like this happen in my life? And have you ever wrestled with that yourself? I mean, I have, whether it's been for me or for others. God, this person loves you. They sacrifice, they give to you. Why have you let this happen in their life? Or why are you allowing this to happen in their life? Well, for me, it's like this weekend. It's like, Lord, you know, we got great momentum and, our, and we're seeking you and we're coming together to worship you. And, you know, why would you allow this to happen this weekend? Why would you allow this to take place? Why do we have to be in this kind of a, a, a situation? Maybe you're feeling that. He goes in that passage, says, you are my stronghold, verse 2. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. So what I want you to catch is how much he longs to be back or they long to be back in Jerusalem. So in this person's mind, it's like Jerusalem is where, where God is, and that's where I've got to get to. I've got to get back there so I can be with God. I don't like being dislocated from God. So hang on to that thought for a moment. He says in verse 4, Then I will go to the altar of God. If I get back there, then I'll go to the altar of God, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with lear, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You say, okay, Pastor, what does all that mean? Why did you read me those two psalms? Because in those two psalms, the psalmist equates peace and hope and joy and contentment with being back to the way things were before the enemy invaded and life went on at a normal pace. 
And that's what happens to us when we get a situation like we're in right now. It has displaced us. It has put us in a place we don't like to be. Isn't it interesting how before this happened, we complained how busy we were? And all the places we had to be and all the things that we had to do. And now, I mean, the streets are relatively empty. And yes, the stores have been all bought out. And work's being cut back. And we can't all come and worship in the same place. And we find ourselves spending more time at home. I've heard from parents who are like, what am I going to do? The kids are home all week. Aren't we fickle creatures? I look at it and I go, what an opportunity to just take a breath and slow down. Maybe it's a good thing we're being displaced a bit. Because what the psalmist has to wrestle through is that, you know what? God isn't always found in Jerusalem. Sometimes God is found in the wilderness. And perhaps God is allowing this to happen in the lives, listen, of not just unbelievers, but believers to call us back to himself. Because even as the followers of Christ, I don't know about you, we can get so busy that God just becomes one more appointment on the calendar. And it's an opportunity for us to settle back into who God is. Because oftentimes, God's not found in the routine. Because in our routine, we've kind of compartmentalized God. And so he takes us out of that. God isn't always found in what is convenient. Sometimes God removes the convenience to get our attention focused back on him. Sometimes God takes control away from us. And I think that's the biggest thing a lot of us, especially in this country, are freaking out with. We are control freaks. I am one of them. And when control is taken away, what do you do, right? Ah! You lean on God. God's able to get our attention. We like things that are predictable, but God oftentimes allows unpredictability into our hearts and into our lives. Maybe the wilderness is where God wants you to be, where God wants me to be. As I read the psalm, did you notice how passion was awakened in the psalmist's life? He was praying in a way he hadn't prayed probably in a long time. He was thinking about God in a way he hadn't thought about in a long time. It's forcing him, in a sense, to God, and that's not a bad place to be. Because when you're in the wilderness, what happens? You want God more than anything else. Like you want water more than anything else. And I sense that happening. I sense that happening in my life, in the lives of others that I listen to. All of a sudden, there's a lot of attention to God. But the attention has to, be move, has to move past, God, please put me back in my routine. The attention has to be, God, what are you trying to say to me? How do you want to draw me closer to you? How do you want me to depend more on you? I'm telling you what, rather than looking at this as a, as a challenge by which the existence or the goodness of God is being questioned, I think it's an opportunity where God is saying, and you will see me and you will know me if you lean into me now and start trusting me and stop trusting yourself. I want to just close with a couple more quotes. This one by Pastor Oglovia again. It's too long to put on the screen, but I just want you to listen because it's haunting and it's true. He says, the special gift of suffering is that it exposes all secondary satisfactions. We live in a world that has made a false god, a false god out of quantity rather than quality. It measures greatness by how long we live and how well we live in the number of breaths we breathe instead of the breathtaking experience we enjoy. The passion for trouble-free health has robbed us of passion for God when it is interrupted. Our false idea of happiness anesthetizes us from finding joy. We cannot tolerate any infractions of our prescribed agendas. Where everyone lives to be a hundred, is happily married, has perfect children, makes a good living, and retires to trouble-free leisure 
where the only problem is how to battle boredom. We find ourselves unable to tolerate the imperfect, the incomplete, the inconsistent. Wow. He wrote those, years, he wrote those words years ago, and they are so prevalent for today. May God use this in your life and my life, not to drive us from him, not to create doubt and discouragement and unanswerable questions in our minds and our hearts, but my prayer is that God's going to use this in my life and Wooddale in your life to draw us to him, to spark a spiritual revival first in me, then in us, and get us back on track with God himself and see God work in powerful and glorious way. Would you bow your heads to me and let me pray for you? Father in heaven, again, I thank you that you know us and you love us. Sometimes, God, we try to answer questions for you we're trying to answer the wrong question with the wrong answers. God, you are a good God. You are a loving God. Nothing has changed about that. You always have been and you always will be. And Father, while we may not be able to explain why this is happening or how long it's going to happen, I thank you, O oh God, that it can press us to your heart and I pray in these days to come, O oh God, as our lives are altered and changed, that we would take the opportunity, Lord, to move closer to you and not ask why as much as what. That, Father, we would press into prayer and ask for change to begin in us and change to begin in each other and change to begin in this nation. Lord, allow us to see you move in a mighty and powerful way that we'll be able to rejoice in and sing about and shout about. God, you are enthroned. God, you are with us. God, you are hope, our rock, and our confidence. And whether we're meeting at the facility, on our campus, whether we're in our homes or our apartment or our dorm room, I thank you, O oh God, that you are there. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you have some thoughts you want to share or you have questions for us, I'm going to put up that email address again. And uh, this time we're going to get the email address correct. It was incorrect last time. I apologize. And dot hand at wooddale.org. And dot hand at wooddale.org. And she'll just make sure it gets filtered out to the right people. Now, I suspect that we'll be doing something like this again next weekend. But uh, stay tuned to our website and the blog, and we'll keep you informed. And I wish you a pleasant day with God's grace and his company. We'll see you later.